Test one, two. Okay, we on here? We ready? I don't hear it in my earphones. Welcome to Atypical from theatypicallife.com. I'm Jenny Mooney. We now begin the second half of season one, where we have been sharing stories of our fragile and shared humanity through stories from our friends with disability. Today, and in the entire second half of season one, we will be looking really at just one question. What is a good life? Because how you answer this question, it truly has profound effects on our friends with disability, their families, and lives. Today, we will be looking at one life, one story. And honestly, there are some really difficult parts to it. The temptation when you hear it will be to think it's unusual, that it's one of a kind. But we want to take just a second and let you know that this story, it was not so unusual. And in fact, it was probably closer to the norm. And we often talk about changing the story of disability. And we believe if you are going to change the story, then you must know the story. Today we will begin at the end. The setting, Battle Creek Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a modern-style church where stage lights and screens abound. The setting seems created for pulsing, upbeat worship. But it is quiet, for it is not Sunday, and this is not a worship service. On behalf of the families, let me say thank you for coming today to pay respect to John Wheeler Jr. and his family. John Weldon Wheeler Jr. was born on June 4th, 1968 in Waco, Texas, where his parents... We are going to do something today that admittedly many of us would not want done to ourselves. We are going to look at someone's life, tell their story, through the voice and through the eyes of their brother, their sibling. When John was 10, his brother Chris was born, and John took great delight in his little brother. He loved being with Chris and doing things together. He considered it perhaps the greatest honor of his entire life to serve as a groomsman and his brother's wedding. On Friday, October the 16th, after a week of unconsciousness following cardiac arrest, John went home to heaven. Chris Wheeler is many things, but for our purposes today, he is the brother. So my brother is John, but his life, uh, throughout his life, he's gone by lots of different nicknames. Uh, his most current nickname was Bulldog. His actual official nickname was General Bulldog. Yes, sir. That was like his title and his nickname together. Before General Bulldog, though, he's also been Scorpion King, Tarantula, and then for a little while he was the Big Bison, because in college I, I, our mascot was the Bison, so he was the Big Bison. Um, but anyway, I'll refer to him as Bulldog most of the time, because that, that's my favorite nickname for him. But his name's John Weldon Wheeler Jr. My parents got married when they were 19 and 20 years old. And uh, my brother was born as a result of the honeymoon. So basically, as soon as they got married, went on a honeymoon, they got pregnant with my brother. When he was three months old, um, actually two months old, 
The doctor said that he has a hernia and he needs a hernia repair surgery, which is not a big deal. And so they said, okay, let's do the surgery. He went in a typical kiddo and he came out a different kiddo. And the reason is the doctors used ether, which they don't use anymore, but the doctors used ether as an anesthesia and they accidentally used too much. And so during the surgery, there was a, it caused a lack of oxygen to his brain and left him permanently brain damaged. So my parents were 19 and 20 years old and it's 1968 and there are not a lot of resources. There are not a lot of tools. They didn't know what to do and they're in a teeny tiny town in Oklahoma. And so they, they just went back home and began to try to figure out what to do and how to help the best they knew how. To understand the life that is coming for Bulldog as he grows up, one must understand the context. So here's a history lesson you most likely know very little about. Most likely did not study. Maybe a footnote if you did. The civil rights struggle for persons and families experiencing disability. Chris is right. So much of what we take for granted in disability space was not the case at all for John Jr., for Bulldog, as he was born. In fact, one of the most frustrating pieces of this story from my perspective, Bulldog was on the cusp of real changes that would have helped him immensely. Changes that honestly for him seemed to come too late. In fact, the very year that Bulldog was born, 1968, the first ever federal disability rights legislation was passed. The Architectural Barrier Rights Act mandated that federally constructed buildings be accessible to those with physical disabilities. This was a world in which children with disability had no stated right to an education. Yeah, that's right. Schools could and did deny education because of disability. There was no such thing as handicapped parking and where airlines refused to serve persons with disabilities because they were disabled. We will shortly be landing. That would not be changed through legislation until 1986, when Bulldog was 18 years old. This is a time when schools were actively trying to keep children with disabilities out, and institutions were trying to keep people with disability in, many of them with categorically deplorable living conditions. And just because laws, bills, and courts make changes, it takes a long time to actually be put into practice, oftentimes only done so after families and individuals with disability fight in courts to have their rights enforced. So as we get back to Bulldog and to what his life would become, this helps us with the context of his school, his community, his life. Oh, and if disability at this point didn't put one in the spotlight enough, Chris and John Jr.'s dad, he was a pastor. They were PKs, preacher's kids, watched, analyzed, studied by the community. This is Chris's father speaking at Bulldog's funeral. When it was time for John to enter preschool, it was evident to us that he wasn't ready. He was developmentally behind. He was behind other children his age. A friend advised us to have him tested, and so we made arrangements to meet with a child psychologist. The nearest one to us at that time was in Amarillo, Texas. We were in Beaver, Oklahoma. I was pastor of a church there. 
So we drove from Beaver, Oklahoma to Amarillo, Texas, and we had our son tested. The battery of tests were performed and then evaluated, and then we sat across the desk from the psychologist. He gave us the results of the test. He summed it up this way, that our son had a severe learning disability, only he didn't use that terminology. He explained to us that our son was severely retarded. That word isn't used any longer, and rightly so. He went on to explain to us that John would never learn to read, that school would be a disaster, and that we should not expect anything from John. It would be cruel, he told us, to expect anything from John. And this at the time was typical, and it still is more often than you might want to believe. The doctor giving you their medical opinion, not on your son's diagnosis or anything medical whatsoever, but their unsolicited opinion on his life, his potential, under the guise of helping you set expectations. They spell out that this will not be a good life. But back into the story, and our storyteller, Chris, Bulldog's brother, has not been born yet. Ten years later, I was born. And I think my parents waited ten years because they didn't know if they could handle another kiddo. Uh, They didn't know if if they could manage uh, life with my brother and somebody else. Chris was young, really young. His brother was ten years older. But I asked him what it was like growing up with Bulldog. So growing up every night, I remember hearing his music blasting down the hall. Uh, My brother has always liked to listen to music on 10. Um, And even when he had headphones, he would turn it up to 10. So you could almost like hear his music blasting through his headphones. Being a kid, I remember going to sleep, hearing Uh, him sing along to One is the Loneliest Number by Three Dog Night. Uh, I always, as I grew up, I always thought that was really ironic, but that was one of his jams. Uh, And he listened to a lot of Air Supply and he listened to a lot of Striper, which is like a Christian metal band. So I remember that really, really clearly. Um, Of course, I remember fighting over the bathroom and, you know, who's, you know, just like typical brothers do. One Christmas, we both got Ataris. The, 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 the Christmas that the Atari came out, that was a big deal. It was a real big deal because my parents got us both one, one for me and one for him so that we wouldn't fight over them. You know, I'm kind of losing my train of thought because I'm starting to think of all, all of the dark sides of it too. For Chris, there are many dark sides to Bulldog's story, and in many ways, he feels responsible for them. Though he was seven or eight when what he calls the dark side began, he feels responsible not because he could have changed much at his age, but because with Chris growing up, every single milestone that he met seemingly brought to the surface another of Bulldog's shortcomings. Yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind is when I got my bike, um, he never learned how to ride a bike. He, he never really had the balance to be able to manage a bike, but I got, I, I, I got his bike and began to ride it a little bit. And then my parents got me my own bike. And I remember that being kind of a, a moment 
Um, it's barely there in my memory, but I do remember thinking, interesting, I'm riding a bike and he never did. I also noticed when I began to be much faster than he was. So I could pick on him and then run away and he couldn't catch me. I could get up the stairs and into my room and, and shut the door before he could get to me. I, I could ride a bike, you know, I could throw a ball. I could, I could be more coordinated than he could. And I could understand things more than he could understand, like games or strategy. Like we might be playing a game and I might beat him because I understand more strategy than he does. So he began to recognize like how unfair that is. And that was really hard for him. Like, again, I was the golden boy. Everything I did was amazing and precious and wonderful and beautiful and hilarious and awesome. And my brother was the scapegoat. Like I said, he was the reason that we had problems. And the real source of Chris's deepest regret is something that as a child he wasn't aware of. It is what he sees of himself in hindsight, that he bought into the way that the world perceived his brother. The other aspect of it growing up, I remember being so angry with him for how gross his hygiene would be. You know, he'd miss the toilet and pee all over the wall. And I remember just being so angry as a kid and how gross that was. Um, I remember being so angry with how gross his fingernails were because he, you know, he had, he didn't care. <laughs> you know, he was like, whatever. And uh, now I find that to be so liberating and freeing and beautiful. But then I would be so mad and frustrated with him for the way he smelled or the way he would make our house sometimes smell. Stuff that now I, I hate, but then I felt self-righteousness in. So Bulldog is becoming increasingly agitated at home. And things, well, things at school, they're going worse. My brother got picked on a lot, made fun of a lot. Behavioral correction was kind of the, the go-to move and try to make my brother kind of fit into the typical school kid mold. And so they would also spiritualize the behavioral correction. And so they would say it's a spirit of rebellion and that he can choose to make better choices. And I bought into that my whole growing up years. And now I feel incredible shame. I feel incredible sadness. I don't know if he got expelled or if they just said he can't come back, but I remember Basically, that it was like it was done. Like there weren't, there were no more resources for him. It was kind of like into the road. And so, just like that, Bulldog would be forced out of school, leaving him with very few options for what a day would now look like in his life. This is something that today would not be allowed under current special education law. Ladies and gentlemen. Um, join me here, Professor Matt, uh, living my dream. But now the law IDEA, that spells idea, the law IDEA guarantees access to a free and appropriate public education in the least restrictive environment to every child with a disability. Now, again, there are schools falling short of that standard every day, even now. But at least now there is a standard, there is a law, and there are ways to seek enforcement on schools and school districts that do not abide. But that was not the case for Bulldog, and these were only the beginning 
of additional legal reforms that would come too late for him. Because now, much worse than school, Bulldog would be forced out of his home, away from Chris and away from his family. Because he started to threaten me because he felt jealous. And once or twice, I know that he pushed me down the stairs from the top of the stairs. And that's when my parents felt like they had to get him out of the house. What do you think that he was trying to communicate as he pushed you down the stairs? Like, I don't, you know, I, I think he was trying to say, somebody see me. Like, somebody freaking see me. Um, because, you know, being the little brother and being the typical kiddo, I got so much attention and praise, and he did not. I think he was craving for somebody to recognize and see his gifts and see his passions and abilities and um, cherish him and treasure him like I was being doted upon. And then for the rest of my childhood and, you know, high school, college, he was in and out of group homes, either, you know, boys, ranches or different kinds of special care centers. Some of those were horrible. Uh, some of those were, one of them, or a couple of them were nursing homes that were just really gross and sad. Uh, some of them later I found out were abusive. Through these events, Bulldog became a ward of the state of Oklahoma. They were in charge of where he lived, where he could go, and he was shuffled through some devastating places during this time. He endured abuse, as Chris alluded to, legal reforms that pushed for persons with disability to be included in their community instead of shuffled off and siloed into institutions like the ones that John Jr. Bulldog lived in. You guessed it, these legal reforms, not here yet. And Chris, well, he says he carried those same feelings toward his brother into his adult life, the ones that the world handed him Though he loved his brother, he saw him as in the way, as the black sheep of the family, as someone who just couldn't get it all together. That Bulldog should make better choices. He says that he had really removed himself from all of the pain of feeling that responsibility and the pain of being removed from a brother that he loved from his life. And as Chris grew through high school, through college, and on, none of this really changed. Until, well, until Lindsay. I'm good. I love talking about Bulldog. So even in the midst of all this grief, like, Matt, I loved him so much. That's Lindsay, Chris's eventual wife. Not married yet in the story, but as you'll see, that did not matter to Bulldog. Before Chris and I even dated, we we spent so much time together and he was going to visit his brother at, at that point, Bulldog was in a nursing home. And because he was a ward of the state, so he kind of had to live wherever the state put him. And some of those places were just horrendous, honestly. And this place that we went to was that. But we walk in, and I had no idea what to expect. I just heard little snippets. And he was hilarious. Like the first second I saw him, and he screams and yells at me and goes, Chris, 
is this the girl you've told me all about that's going to be your wife? And we had not even had a conversation about dating at that point. And I was like, oh my word. <laughs> like it was the best thing in the whole world. And Chris was like, bulldog, no, 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 we're just friends. And later on, we found out that Chris had talked to bulldog about us. And bulldog was just, he, you know, embraced me as his sister immediately. From the very beginning of Chris even talking about Bulldog, Lindsay saw not someone needing to be corrected, but someone to be enjoyed, celebrated even. Lindsay saw him. I think when Chris and I got married, I was so excited because I finally got a brother and he loved calling me sister. Like I was not his sister-in-law, I was his sister. And he treated me, I mean, this is no exaggeration like royalty. Whenever Bulldog would call me on the phone, I would pick up and I'd say, hey, Bulldog. And he'd go, hey, sister. And then he would rattle off, no lie, when I tell you like 20 to 25 positive adjectives about me that he sees in me, he would say all of that at the beginning of every single conversation I've ever had with him. And I would always tell him, Bulldog, like, God knew that I needed you to call me today because my self-esteem was so low. And the second I hear his voice and hear him like rattle off my amazing, beautiful, talented, wonderful sister, you know, gosh, like how can you not just love that? It's the most precious thing in the world. And I just loved him from the start. Like there was nothing about him that I did not love was so I remember just feeling so grateful that he was going to get to be a part of my story and my family. For Lindsay, it was simple. In Bulldog, someone so many others wanted to avoid or correct or normalize, she saw the same person, but from a completely different perspective. Someone so fun, funny, and free, and whose presence had so much to offer. And not only did Lindsay see Bulldog as having gifts to offer to the world, but Bulldog loved getting gifts as well, as in really loved it. Like, it was one of his things. And if Bulldog was into gifts, then you can bet that Lindsay was into gifts as well. Bulldog has always been obsessed with mascots, and he doesn't care what the sports team is. He just, like, he likes a sports team based on how cool is the mascot. And you have never met anyone in the world who loves a sports t-shirt or hat more than Bulldog. Like every year for Christmas, he'd be like, Lindsay, I need a Florida Gators t-shirt. I need a whatever spiders hat. I need a, you know, and it was like the most random teams in the whole world. And I loved giving him gifts. Like Chris would have to be like, Lindsay, please, you know, please don't spend every penny we own. But I like loved it because he lived for his birthday and Christmas and he would start his birthday wish list the day after Christmas, basically. And he would start his Christmas wish list, which is in June, the day after his birthday. But one year, I feel like it was so God because I thought, I want Bulldog to have gifts year round because living in a group home, you know, he 
didn't get to go and get things a lot. It's a real lonely place to be. So I thought we are going to surprise him with gifts. So I wrote on Facebook, like, hey, friends and family, like, let's bless Bulldog. And within like a week and a half, I think we had at least over a hundred different t-shirts, like all different schools. We had hats. We had someone sent us like this specially signed baseball jersey from, I mean, obviously, can you tell that I'm really sporty? Um, I don't know any of the teams, but I loved getting to do that for him. And then getting to send him these gifts and say like, these are your fans, Bulldog. Like you have fans all over the world that love you this much that they want to see you like have all of these t-shirts and hats. And he would just yell on the phone, his excitement. It was like giving someone their dream car with a big red bow on it. And that was him opening a package of t-shirts. He would ask me for CDs that happened to have been like from 1981. And the last time they were ever printed was in the 90s. And I was like, I am going to find this CD. And so like, I I remember I got one CD from eBay and it was from Germany. And I was so proud. I was like, I got the last CD of, I can't even remember what band it was. And the Bulldog stories that Lindsay and Chris have, they are legendary and they just keep coming. So I was really excited to plan Bulldog's 50th birthday. I thought, okay, this is like, you know, the big deal. He always joked around and said, when I'm 50, I retire. And at his group home, he would have to do this little job like two hours a day. And he hated it. And so he would say, when I turn 50, I'm retiring and they're not going to make me do my job anymore, which was not true, but he just made himself believe it. And it was hilarious. But I, he has always loved sharks. He loves different like um, fish. So I thought, let's do it at the Tulsa Aquarium. Like he is going to love this. So I booked a party room. We had um, lots of family came. One of the most special things was one of his, a boy in the fifth grade at one of his schools just loved him so well. His name was Clint. And Clint showed up at the party, hadn't seen Bulldog in probably 40 years. And Bulldog was screaming, is that my best friend, Clint? You know, in Clint, all of us are just bawling because it's the sweetest thing in the whole world. And we go through the day and it was precious. Like everything was precious. And then I was like, okay, we get to go like look through the aquarium and aren't you excited to see the sharks, Bulldog? And he looked at me so serious and he goes, when you've seen one shark, you've seen them all, Lindsay. And he just wanted to go home and unwrap his gifts. He could care less that we were at the aquarium. And I just laughed because that's him. <laughs> and, he's and, then, and then we all left and then we all left it was like i had planned this huge thing so right. none of us got to see the, the fish <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. and so we were like well so we just saw the party room that was like a cafeteria 
And he didn't want to eat his cake. He said he was on a diet. I don't want to eat the cake. Each of these stories, they are lived experiences in which Chris's viewpoint was shifting. Though he was looking at the same person, his brother that he'd known all his life, he now seemed to be viewing him from a completely different perspective as well. It was as though Lindsay had handed him her glasses and putting them on clarified everything that before had been so fuzzy. Not the bulldog script handed to him by the world, but the man in front of him. The free, fun, and always quick to forgive man. And this viewpoint, it changed their relationship. Bulldog continued to assert himself as the big brother, and Chris, he learned to enjoy him. As Chris and I developed our relationship and got married, and he got to see Bulldog almost through my eyes, I would get to like help him almost love Bulldog in a whole different way than he'd ever experienced. Like that was when grace came alive for Chris. And it was the most beautiful thing to get to watch as his wife, to watch him like love his brother in a whole different way than he ever knew that he possibly could. God used Lindsay's tenderness and empathy for my brother to open my eyes to say like, wow, he's, he's actually incredible. Not that I would have said anything otherwise, but I, I really think it, she changed my perspective or sh- shifted the way that I saw him. And I began to realize that my brother understood grace more profoundly than I did. That was the, kind of this awakening for me. That period of my life was an awakening time where I was shifting from self-righteousness and pride and arrogance to recognizing like, what is grace actually? And I would look at my brother a lot of times and the freedom that he lived in as an example to what grace meant, you know? My brother lived big and loud and wide open. He loved people regardless, like he didn't care what they smelled like or looked like or what they wore or if they were if they were wealthy or not or educated or not or influential or not. He just loved people. So I began to start taking stock in that in my 20s and on to go, wait a minute, my brother is like, this incredible dude that loves people just the way they are and is very content to listen to his jams, listen to his music, right? And play games and uh, think about what the next meal might be and go to bed early and wake up early. You know, my brother has made Lindsay and I together laugh so many times. He loved Lifeway Christian Bookstore. Like, Anytime Bulldog got a gift card, it was like it would burn a hole in its pocket. Like we'd have to go within 10 minutes of the gift card being put in his hands. Basically, we would have to drive to whatever store it was. And a lot of times his dad would take him to Walmart, but he loved Lifeway Christian Bookstore. And he would say he would call it the the big kahuna of Christian T-shirts. Oh, by the way, is it peanut butter? What is it that the peanut butter thing? Peanut butter bonbons. So Bulldog loved my mom and my mom to him is not really any relation, but he would call my mom his mother. Look, Bulldog, look who's here. Get it, get it. 
And she, my mom always makes these peanut butter bonbons at Christmas. And it's like this special thing. And he loved peanut butter bonbons. Like you would hand him a tin of peanut butter bonbons and you would have to take them away or he would eat like 32 bonbons in five minutes. Peanut butter bonbons. <laughs> <laughs> But every year he would ask KK to, to make him some peanut butter bonbons. And every year it was hilarious watching him open them because he was so excited. He's the best person to give gifts to. But one year, I think it was last year, the year before, we hand him the tin of peanut butter bonbons and he opens it. He goes, could you tell your mom I am sick of peanut butter bonbons? I would rather have a gift card. So, I mean, it's just, you love, you have to love him. And he loved getting to give us gifts. And it was hilarious because he didn't really have his own money. So we would always go, where did he get these gifts? One year I unwrapped my Christmas gift and it was LL Cool J's biography. And then another time, like, I ended up with some cowboy romance book and he was so proud to give it to me. And it was my favorite gift. I mean, it was hilarious. So you never knew what you were gonna get from him, but you knew that you were gonna laugh, that it was gonna just be so full of joy and you were gonna walk away just feeling like, ah, like I want to make the most of my life. but he, he made the most of it. Like, that's the crazy part. Like, like you never were around him and thought he is really depressed or he really is sad. No, he like, he has always been a hundred percent bulldog. And it's like the most beautiful thing in the whole world. When, if I had gone through all he'd gone through, I'd be sitting in a corner rocking back and forth, you know, devastated, but not him. <laughs> Even though the world would look at like what he had been dealt, the life he had been dealt, like most people would say, wow, that's so sad. Or that's just, what a tragedy. And you didn't feel that when you were with him. Like I would walk away so full of joy every time I was with him. Okay, so I got to watch Chris, like his relationship with Bulldog deepen and grow over the last 17 years. And there's nothing really that makes my heart happier. Like it was so beautiful to get to watch them just be brothers. And Bulldog would like rub his hand on Chris's head. And like they did things that like little brothers would do as a 40 and 50 year old. And it was the most precious thing to watch. And in the midst of him just finding this like compassion and being able to like love him differently, God gave us a daughter that we adopted from Guatemala who is the most precious child in the whole world. But she also has a lot of special needs. And it's so cool to get to see God redeeming his story with Bulldog in the way he's able to parent Eliana. And you have never met a dad that loves a daughter like Chris loves Eliana. And I'm sure every parent says that, but I've gotten to watch it. And it's the most unbelievable thing.
so the the first day we talked about Bulldog till the day that Chris had to stand up at Bulldog's funeral and share about his life. I mean, it is so drastically different. So I get the privilege of talking about my brother. I am Chris Wheeler. I am the little brother. He is the big brother. We got to make that really clear. He would make that clear every time we were together. My mom would call me Chrissy and my brother would call me Quiffy, which I loved. He would Quiffy, which was like his most tender word for me. And then, of course, my most favorite was his long litany of attacks that he would give me when on the phone. I've recorded it. I've written it down. Some versions of this are not polite and appropriate for Battle Creek. But the part I can tell you is he would say, no good, low down, double crossing, two bits, snake in the grass, bird brain, numbskull. (laughs) And he could rattle that off so fast My life is charmed and so blessed. And his life always seemed to be so hard and so difficult, so challenging and unfair. And I get that life isn't fair. That's fine. Theologically, I totally understand that. But the truth is his life was very unfair. It was a lack of oxygen when he was two months old that caused his brain damage. And then it was a lack of oxygen at 52 years that took his life. And I don't like that. I'm very glad he's whole. I'm very glad he's whole in heaven. But I still don't like it. To honor him, I'm gonna tell you about some of his favorites. He'd do this thing on his tummy when he'd get really excited and he would be doing that right now. He would be so excited to see you all, to see his uncles and to see some of his favorite people in the world and people that in his life are like epic heroes. You are iconic in his life and he would just be so thrilled to see you. His favorite restaurant, of course, was Red Lobster. You haven't lived unless you've eaten at Red Lobster with a man who has no teeth trying to eat a lobster. I always taught Eliana, my daughter, to never sit across from him, always sit next to him. That's how you make it through a meal as you sit next to him so you don't get spit on. One time we were at Red Lobster and his prosthetic eye fell out. Rolled under the table. No, it fell next to me. I'm eating my fish. And something fell next to me. Because I was sitting next to him on purpose, right? Because that's where strategically you need to be. And I looked down at the bench next to us, and there's his eyeball looking back at me. And he goes, Dad, my eyeball fell out. So Dad gets up and takes him to the men's room and puts it back in his eye, which is disgusting but totally normal, like totally normal to put his eye back in in the men's room at a Red Lobster. I think from interviews with Lindsay, with Chris, from videos and voicemails from Bulldog, it seems quite clear to me 
that the sadness of Bulldog's life, it came from others, how others saw him and how others treated him. But Bulldog, he wasn't sad. Not about his brain injury, not about those who ridiculed him, even abused him. The sad parts, they were done by others or projected onto his life by assumptions made without ever getting to know him. The source of sadness, it was not him, it was others. He wanted to be seen because everyone else seemed to be sad when they looked at him. But see him, that was his wish, his request. And when you did, he was not sad. He thought his life was a good one and he was going to make the best of it no matter what someone else thought or perceived. I look at what the world says is a good life and it's money, it's, you know, fame, huge community, um, you know, having the best job or a new car and um, being, you know, people would say getting married or having a family and Bulldog had none of that. And yet I looked, I can look at his life and go, man, but I wish I had his joy, his peace, his optimism, like his laughter, the way he can forgive people, like at the drop of a hat, he held on to nothing. Like his life was the epitome of a good life. It was, um, gosh, it was, it was simple, but it was beautiful. And I can't even imagine every person he would meet, he would ask, will I see you in heaven? And obviously sometimes that was awkward when we're in the middle of Walmart or, you know, at Red Lobster and he's asking the waiter. But I look at that and I go, gosh, he knew what his priorities were. Like it was to love people well and to love Jesus. And he did it. And that to me is just the definition of a good life. I am Matthew Lyle Mooney, and this is a typical stories of our fragile and shared humanity. You could find us and some additional information, pics, and videos of Bulldog at theatypicallife.com. If you found this to be a story that you would want others to hear, and we hope you do, then please share it. We'll trust you with the details of how you do so. We are actively working on additional episodes to finish out season one. So subscribe to the podcast or follow along on Instagram. It's at The Atypical Life. So you can know when we finish the next episode. And as always, we love you.